Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. So, the last episode I covered reincarnation, and now we're going to find out more about Dr. Ian Stevenson, one of the most influential contributors to the field and knowledge base of reincarnation. And we're going to find out more about him and the 40 years of research he's conducted in this space. I'll also be covering some interesting concepts around birthmarks in reincarnation cases, and a deeper dive on one of Ian Stevenson's flagship reincarnation stories. So, let's jump right in. First, let's talk about Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was born in 1918, when $1 was worth 16 bucks back then, when the first case of Spanish flu hit United States, killing 675,000 people. It was also the time where grocery bags with handles were invented. What a time, folks. A lot going on. Dr. Ian Stevenson was a pioneer in six specific fields of parapsychology phenomena. Try saying that quickly, goodness. The fields he focused on during his research were reincarnation, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, after-death communications, deathbed visions, altered states of consciousness, and psi. That's P-S-I. Referring to psychic abilities, not the air pressure in your tires. Each of those fields warrants an episode on its own. So in due time, I'll definitely get to those. Now, for 40 years, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who here on in will be referred to as Dr. Stevenson, spent those 40 years researching and traveling. 40 years, mates. And he investigated over 3,000 cases of children with past lives. What really set Dr. Stevenson apart from other researchers was his attention to detail, skill in identifying authentic cases, and the adherence to scientific method and his background in previous parapsychology phenomena for 30 out of his 40 years that supported the accuracy, consistency, and overall credibility of the cases he investigated. As I explained, Dr. Stevenson focused on many fields, but specifically went into children with past lives in 1960. That was the first foray into reincarnation, with a case coming from Sri Lanka, in which the child could remember his family's life and their previous parents in their past life. It was then that Dr. Stevenson jumped head first into the rabbit hole of reincarnation, with 300 papers and 14 books later, the rest is history. And during his exploration in the field of reincarnation, there were specific traits that Dr. Stevenson noticed. And the more I read of these stories, I can see the link that Dr. Stevenson is creating. What he saw was that the children, remembering their past lives had something in common, at least a significant portion. Birthmarks. Now, I could go in and read you stories about children with past lives, which is fine, of course, but I want to explore this area in a bit more detail because it's not something that I believe many people get to hear about or get exposure to. Now, it is a bit trickier to get into scientifically regarding objective proof and accounts from children with fragmented memories of their past lives, so take this with a pinch of salt. 
This isn't to say that it's not without its merit, but it is difficult to justify from a scientific standpoint. So what's the correlation between birthmarks and past lives? Well, there was an interesting range of cases with proof and evidence of their past lives verified that directly linked them to the birthmarks related to the death of that child in that past life. Dr. Stevenson stated that 30-60% to 60 of the birthmarks in the investigated cases could have been caused by genetic abnormalities and a 40-70% to 70 range, perhaps by chance. With a differential of let's say 30-40% to 40 of those cases having direct links to some reincarnation-based evidence. That's a big number, right? Substantial in its own right at least. And during his studies regarding birthmarks and reincarnation, Dr. Stevenson also came across a number of unique realizations surrounding the children with past lives, birthmarks, and the influence it has on the next life. I'll go through them one by one. These are topics or ideas covered in his papers and works. So we have stories were shared with him in which people can, at death, apparently request or will to be born to a couple or one partner of a couple. In death, the person appears to those who were having a child in a dream, coined as prophetic dreams, in which the spirit tells them that they will be reborn by them. He found that, in some Indian cultures, they check the body of newly born children for birthmarks to identify ancestral ties to that child, and their elders or those who have passed. So if there's a birthmark on the arm, it could have been a family member who died in an accident, where the wound that led to their death stemmed from that location. A sort of calling card on the last moment of that person's life. And depending on the severity of the death or how they died, the mark may change. It could be a shotgun wound or bullet wound. It could be a deep hole or even a discoloration of skin, sometimes marking surgery done to the person in their past life. I'll delve deeper into that concept later. Dr. Stevenson also covers children who experience their past lives in their dreams and through memories are often between the age of two and four. Now here's something really interesting that I'm not sure many people know. It's between four and seven years of age where the memories of their past lives tend to begin to fade. Sometimes, in cases with children living with past lives, there can be points where these children are living a double existence, as they transition from their old memories into the new, leaving their previous life behind. So Dr. Stevenson actually spent years with these kids, in some cases 10 to 20 years. So he's been able to see the life and growth of the children and their transition in and out of their past life memories. But this isn't always the case. Now there are cases where the feeling of leading a double existence is so strong that some children have an intense desire to return to their past life family or parents that they loved and now have lost in their new life. To some extent even mourning their past lives family. I can only imagine the stress that it puts on these children and requires some special guidance to ensure that they follow the right path. Another concept he covers is children who died in unnatural or extreme ways and are reincarnated had those deaths embedded in them as they moved on to their next life. For example, drowning, 
would lead to a phobia of water in the next, or a snake bite that poisoned them that would lead them to be frozen in fear when seeing a snake in their new life. Significant deaths and the circumstances experienced during that death process would impart or imprint on the past life soul, carrying across to the child's current life. Interestingly enough, of the 895 investigated cases with children who have lived past lives, 309 subjects attributed their birthmark to their death, and a selection of 43 out of the 49 cases in another investigation, done by Dr. Stevenson, supported direct links between the child's death, the birthmark, and their phobias. And lastly, some children would have philias, that's P-H-I-L-I-A-S, wherein these children with philias would seek out clothes, food, and cultural items or experiences from cultures not their own. So to me, philias are kind of like past life echoes that draw their soul to old experiences. Children wanting to eat German but being born from a Chinese background, for example, or a child developing alcohol addictions or drug addictions based on lives they've experienced in the past, that they reaccount and can explain and justify. Now this ties right back into what I discussed in the previous episode. I believe the Hindu concept of reincarnation reflects that idea, where past life habits influence the new life's journey. I love it when I get to see these kind of ideas correlate across cultures. And before I jump into some stories around this, I want to give you some examples of birthmarks tied to deaths from different places, because I really think it's an area not often explored. Here are some story breakdowns, just very quick ones. One Thai woman had three separate linear hyperpigmented scars, so color discolorations on the skin, like birthmarks near the midline of her back. As a child, she had remembered the life of a woman who was killed when struck three times in the back with an axe. A woman in Burma was born with two perfectly round birthmarks in her left chest. They slightly overlapped, and one was about half the size of the other. And as a child, she said that she remembered the life of a woman who was accidentally shot and killed with a shotgun. There is an account by a Burmese child that explains she remembered the life of her deceased aunt who had died during surgery from congenital heart disease. This child had a long, vertical, linear, hyperpigmented birthmark close to the midline of her lower chest and upper abdomen. This birthmark corresponded to the surgical incision for the repair of the aunt's heart. There's also a story about a child in Turkey with a horizontal linear birthmark across the right upper quadrant of his abdomen. It resembled the scar of the surgeon's abdominal incision. The child said that he recalled the life of his paternal grandfather, who had become jaundiced and was operated on before he died. And lastly, an old woman who died in Thailand with the desire to be reborn as a boy. Her daughter marked her mum's neck with a white paste-like substance, so she'd be recognised when she was reincarnated. Soon after, the daughter gave birth to a son with a birthmark on the back of his neck exactly where she'd put the white paste on her mum's neck. So this ties back to what Dr. Stevenson was talking about in his research regarding a will or a want to be reborn, a sort of mental agreement with something that gives the person a chance to come back, with perhaps a birthmark being the only cue as to you being reborn. So when you die, who knows what you meet or what you talk to? 
but there is some kind of intention, from what I understand, in this process to come back. So naturally I found these fascinating because the more I read into this, the more I realize how deep this goes. But I can see how some people are still a bit skeptical on this front because of course, you know, it's hearsay. These stories don't have any medical records or any sort of verification around that. I mean, not all of them, some do. So I haven't delved too deep into those, but I have left some links here in the episode for those interested in reading more about reincarnation specific to birthmarks, but it is a topic I'll revisit for sure. Now in covering this topic, I wanted to address the hearsay component. Dr. Stevenson is meticulous with his data and follows the scientific method. And as a result, I do have one case from many of his that I wanted to bring to light to add some oomph to the credibility, to the research and the concept of reincarnation. So throughout Dr. Stevenson's career, he investigated thousands of cases. I wanted to pick out an example of one such case, an investigation of his that covered past lives with some more accuracy. This is the case of Swan Lata, spelled S-W-A-R-N-L-A-T-A. Swan Lata Mishra was a three-year-old girl born in 1948. Whilst being driven past the town of Kutney, which happened to be 100 miles from her home, she pointed out to the road saying, My house! Explaining that if they're going to get some tea, that would be a great place to go. Sounds like Swan Lata is already wise beyond her years to me. A three-year-old girl has a good sense for tea? Definitely an old soul, right? Right. <laughs> she goes on to say that her name used to be Bia Pathak, and the mother of two sons, explaining how her house was white, had black doors with iron bars, four rooms, and the front floor was stone slabs. Moving on to say that the house itself was located in Zuhur Katir, and I apologize in advance for butchering these names. <laughs> Explaining that the house was behind the girls' school in front of the railway line, where lime furnaces were visible. And for me, that's absolutely amazing. I can't remember my previous house doors and stylings, let alone having come back from death to recall it. Goodness. And this is where it starts to pick up, where Swanlata talks about the particulars. She mentions a car, an old car, something that was not only rare in general, but rare specifically in India during the 1950s, explaining what the car was, what it looked like, and then mentioned that she had a pain in her throat of which she died from. She also added some extra detail, and was even able to state who her doctor was that treated her when she died. If you're wondering, it's Dr. S. C. Babrat in Jabalapur, in case you were wondering. It wasn't until Swanlata was older, around 10, when her father took her to her old house, purely based on her own description. So word for word, she walked her father through the means to get to her old house, and she was right, down to the location and house structure with some minor changes due to ownership and building refurbishments. What's more is she also found her old family, as in her passing, she left behind a husband and two sons, of which they found, Bia Pathak, who died in 1939, where Swanlata had claimed for years that that was the place in which she was from. So, I know what you're thinking. Surely it ends there, right? 
Well, no, it gets even more detailed. She was then able to locate her past life's brother, calling him by no less than his nickname, Babu. Dr. Stevenson was blown away, and, of course, so was everyone else. This is information she doesn't have, has never seen the family, and yet somehow knows this. The thought of seeing your passed away sister, the realization of reincarnation and reliving the grief and relief of seeing your return sister in this form would just be mind-blowing. I can't imagine what's going through both families' minds there and then. And she did this for all her brothers. She named the wife of the youngest brother and the son of her brother, naming them one by one, not missing a beat, even the family servant. Which she got correct, by the way, despite one of her brothers trying to trick her into saying that he had died. But she insisted that he was still alive and lo and behold, he was. Swanlata was flawless. She was right every single time. And as the story goes on, she is tested by her family with false women posing as wives and gold fillings that she could point out in each family member where they are in the mouth and when they got them. She did not waver and again got every fact right. Pretty compelling, don't you think? The limitations of this knowledge, though, only extends to 1939, frozen in that period of when she passed on. The family in the end accepted that Swanlata was Bia reborn, and the story ends there in regards to the phenomena. But bloody hell, I would too if I witnessed this phenomena. Not only is this a lot of knowledge for a two-year-old, or even a ten-year-old, it's also accurate. So accurate that she was tested again and again against competing facts, in which her old knowledge trumped every time. Dr. Stevenson kept in touch with her over 10 years, as she got married, obtained a degree in botany, and led a happy life. So this is the story of Swan Lata, and I hope you enjoyed it and today's episode. I hope I've given you something to think about, some new ideas, and perhaps affirmed some of your pre-existing ones. So we covered Dr. Ian Stevenson, who he was, what he did, and his relevance in the field of reincarnation. We also covered trends in his research, as well as birthmarks, deaths, and how they're linked, and the unique case of Swanlata. So what do you think? What's your opinion on reincarnation? I've already received emails that people believe, and it's a concept I myself am grappling with. I mean, if reincarnation exists, what does that mean for ghosts? What happens to the fetuses that these souls possess? And what's the process or the governing intention that allows that process of being reborn to take place? How does that work? Just food for thought. So what does this mean? More evidence, right? So, leave in the comments below your thoughts or email me directly if you want to chat about it. I'll be doing another set of stories regarding children with past lives this Friday. I'm either going to tackle Carol Bowman, who also investigated children with past lives, or present you with a whole bunch of modern-day children with past lives stories. Perhaps a bit of both, like today. And next week, I'm returning to... Japanese folk stories. I received multiple requests from you lovely listeners to cover them, and a direct request from Tom Keithley, both a listener and an author 
on this podcast in returning to these Japanese stories. So thanks, mate. It's great to hear your passion for these old folk tales. And I will not disappoint. Have a great night, my creepy-licious listeners, or a fantastic day. Stick with me this Friday, and we'll go further down the rabbit hole of reincarnation. And till next time.